Welcome to the foot of the rapids, where today we will be traveling south, a march of three, maybe four days, to a small, isolated, but not nearly forgotten piece of ground in Hardin County, Ohio, where 16 small gravestones eject from the earth to call attention to the sacrifice, perhaps the misery, of a winter encampment from the War of 1812. Unknown soldier is all that is carved across the frosted gray rock headstones and soft mint green lichens clinging to the corners of the lettering. Unknown, yes, for most of the 200 year span since the war, but today we report on careful research performed by the historians at Fort Meigs who believe they have found and identified the actual deceased men lying in these graves. Stay with us as we trace the story back and dig 16 graves over a long, dark winter. Again, welcome to the Foot of the Rapids. During the War of 1812, Fort Meigs was the centerpiece of a huge three-pronged network of forks and protected supply lines. One of these supply lines, the central one, led north-south through west-central and northwest Ohio. Hull's Road, it's been called, which was hacked out of the forests and swamps in the late spring and early summer of 1812. This before the official declaration of war. General William Hull had assembled his army in May at Dayton and Urbana, Ohio. Then, in an effort to reinforce his position at Fort Detroit, pushed this force out into the Indian Territory, disappeared into the Black Swamp, emerged at the Maumee River Rapids, and continued northward to his military and political base at Detroit. The first step in this entire process was to dispatch Colonel Duncan MacArthur and his regiment north of the Greenville Treaty Line up to the Scioto River and construct accommodations there to house and protect army supplies. MacArthur and his men finished what would be named Fort MacArthur, or MacArthur's Blockhouse, on June 9, 1812. Hull the army and baggage arrived 10 days later. Next, Colonel James Finley was dispatched in leapfrog fashion to go build his namesake stop on the Blanchard Fork. When the army eventually departed the Scioto, MacArthur left just one company of his regiment, that of Captain Andrew Dill, behind to garrison the new depot. They would remain there nearly a year escaping the fate that befell their brethren at Fort Detroit in August. They would spend the fall constructing a bridge over the Scioto to speed travel. Ultimately, MacArthur's blockhouse would serve state defenders until well after the War of 1812, being decommissioned in 1816. 
Today, the spot that would have been Fort MacArthur sits about three miles west of Kenton, Ohio, on the south side of the Scioto in listless, snowy farmland. The graveyard, our subject for today, lies on the other side of the river and a good half mile away. It was this unusual situation that the location of the graveyard is known, but not the true location of the actual fort, is what drew the attention of historians. Usually that is not the case, and unmarked graves go lost and forgotten. How is it that one remained and not the other? Discovering the names of the deceased unknown soldier, heroes of 1812, would be a byproduct of just wishing to learn more about the area and how this situation came to be. Tracing the literature back, the oldest reference seems to be a Memorial Day speech given in 1895 by the Reverend Dr. A.W. Munson. And here he gives us some heavyweight clues to the situation in historic Hardin County. He describes the graves as low mounds near a since grown up grove of trees, which tells us how the location was preserved if they were small rises of dirt. We also know from the speech that the graves were partially exhumed at that time and the coffins found and uncovered, proving the existence of buried soldiers in exact locations. Moving forward from 1895, 17 years to the centennial of the war, there were two speeches given and recorded on July 4, 1912, as the Daughters of the American Revolution, Fort MacArthur chapter, dedicated a memorial tablet for the little cemetery. It is here where a researcher would discover the number the graveyard is limited to 16 unidentified burials. Next, in the mid-1920s, the same group, the DAR, had the small headstones brought in, marked Unknown Soldier. Then, in the early 30s, a somewhat standardized Ohio historical marker was put up alongside the nearest road in the area, marking Fort MacArthur. And finally, in 1933, the centennial history of Hardin County was written by Herbert T. Blue, a native son of Kenton who returned from academia to record a chapter which focuses on the 1812 story of Fort MacArthur, and he quotes heavily from the Reverend Munson in the late 19th century, bringing the research and activities back full circle. This 38-year span, from the Reverend Munson to the centennial history of Blue, represents the total summation of research on the Fort MacArthur Cemetery. Many, many things have since come to light in the near 90 years since the most recent investigations. But no one has put those pieces back towards the cemetery. In 1989, another historical marker was erected solely for the cemetery, but no additional research appears to have been done. In 2015, the headstones were cleaned by local do-gooders, 
And then in 2021, there was a Memorial Day commemoration at the site hosted by the Hardin County Historical Society, which included living historians and costumed interpreters representing the War of 1812. It was a festival invitation that extended all the way up to Fort Meigs and staff historians here at the foot of the rapids. But still, 16 stones bearing the inscription, Unknown Soldier. This fort was located about a mile from this place, down the river on the opposite side. A small garrison under Captain McClellan was stationed at Fort MacArthur. And no doubt, those who died at the fort were buried nearby. But all evidence of those graves have long since disappeared by the cultivation of the grounds. I know that some persons think there was but one encampment here, and that was at the fort on the south side of the river. Letters written by General Tupper will settle that question and convince anyone there was a camp near the MacArthur Blockhouse. He went into camp on yonder little hillside, his camp extending down into yonder little ravine where a spring of good water was found, and during that time the six soldiers must suffer on without medical relief. Tupper said, quote, our sick list this morning amounts to 229, about 13 of whom are considered dangerous. But all the others require medicine. And those added to the men who cannot do duty for want of clothing will give you a melancholy future for camp. Does anyone suppose for a moment that none of these soldiers fell victim? to the ravages of disease, so vividly depicted to the governor of the state by their commander. Do you suppose that some died? And what do you suppose was done with their dead bodies? Why, the only rational answer is, they were buried near their camp. And that was here, in these graves, amid the forest trees, buried by their comrades, in their rude coffins made of ponchions split from forest trees. That their coffins consisted of ponchions split from forest trees, there is no doubt. I hope and believe from what has been disclosed here today, none will hereafter doubt that these graves are the last resting place of soldiers of 1812 and that all belief or suspicion that they may be the graves of some white settlers will be forever dispelled. Returning to the 1895 presentation by the Reverend Munson, he had dispelled local ideas that the graves were early settlers and I will add that he proved that the settlers had lived and buried their dead near the old fort ruins on the south side of the river. He also surmised that any deaths occurring inside the fort, 
the remains would have been laid to rest near the fort itself, again on the south side of the river, and that those bones had long since succumbed to destruction by the plow and the railroad moving through. It should also be noted that the company of militia under Captain Andrew Dill, stationed at Fort MacArthur until May of 1813, did not record any deaths in the official record. But our mystery graves, far from anything, were the result of an extra winter encampment that endured the ravages of extraordinary precipitation, poor supply, and sweeping disease. Reverend Munson based this idea on a letter from General Edward W. Tupper to then-Governor Jonathan Meggs, which he headed with his location, stating it as, quote, camp near MacArthur Blockhouse, unquote. This designation set off bells of memory for researchers here at Fort Meggs. On previous Winter Quarters episodes of this program, we have heard from a favorite character, Sergeant Nathan Newsom, Ohio Militia, describing the mournful miseries of every naked man in camp. Those very statements and descriptions we have used on this show were made from the camp near MacArthur Blockhouse, well described and documented in the personal journal of Nathan Newsom. It is neat to put two primary sources together, having one verify the other and give additional context to each standing alone. But as a key point for our grave identification discoveries, Nathan Newsom's journal had only come to light for transcription in 1957. Though abounding with additional supporting evidence, it would not have been known to anyone writing the history before that year, which includes all the activities and all the markers we just named, work which ended in 1933. There is no way the Reverend Munson would have known the wealth this new primary source contained as he gave his Memorial Day speech. Munson would have gone on the Edward Tupper letter alone, which lists no names of deceased soldiers, but it does give a good description of the camp itself and all goings on, especially that deaths were indeed occurring. Nor would the Nathan Newsom journal have been known to Herbert T. Blue when he wrote the official history of Fort MacArthur in the 1930s. We have mentioned Edward Tupper a little bit thus far. Let us examine General Edward White Tupper and the men serving in this wretched encampment. In August of 1812, as the situation in Detroit became increasingly alarmed and tenuous, military governor William Hull's call for aid and reinforcement resulted in the formation and activation of a second detachment of Ohio militia, and the aforementioned General Tupper placed at its head. 1,000 men scheduled for a six-month term of enlistment, and those six months will be another important clue later. They came from all over Southern Ohio 
and eventually formed up into three regiments barracked in Urbana. With news coming of Hull's disastrous surrender, the sense of urgency to rush northward was quelled. Plus, the fact that Tupper's men were desperately undersupplied caused Tupper's advance to delay. Parts of his command were further detached and federalized to relieve the siege at Fort Wayne, Indiana, in early September. Despite it only being 40 miles from Urbana to Fort MacArthur, they would not arrive at the MacArthur Blockhouse until the final day of October, 1812. And here, the sickness was already beginning to take its toll on marching men. And the cold November rains began too, and the mounted spy corps was sent north alone to find the enemy. The spy corps returned immediately with news and prisoners from the foot of the rapids, and Tupper now needed to mount a strike to the rapids to save the badly needed crops at that location, which were threatened by the enemy, and prevent that enemy from grabbing too much a toehold on such favorable ground as the Maumee River Valley. Of the 1,000 men in his detachment, Tupper had to leave 350 behind, being unfit for duty due to this suddenly sweeping illness, and then additional soldiers too needed to stay to care for those sick. So the command was divided. Three-day march northward, two days of skirmishing at the foot of the rapids, and another four days return march. This left the men hungry, wet, and worn out. They returned to the MacArthur blockhouse because this is where the remainder of the detachment was and their base of food and medical supplies. Here now, on November 18th, their winter encampment would begin in the fields outside Fort MacArthur. In addition to the aforementioned journal by Sergeant Nathan Newsom, there are additional primary sources that help us uncover the clear pictures of this winter encampment down MacArthur's way. John Jackson served as a first lieutenant in Captain Philip McNamar's company in Tupper's militia detachment. Jackson's was the group dispatched to relieve Fort Wayne and later returned. Jackson published his story in seven installments on the pages of the Goshen Democrat, an Indiana newspaper, in 1872 as he enjoyed retirement. Remote and disjointed, the disparate parts were consolidated and published by Jeff Patrick in 1992. John Jackson trumpets the fact that his unit lost no members during the conflict, nor does he record the names or dates of those dying in other nearby outfits. But he does help place the location of various companies in the militia which strengthen our other evidence. 
Also, his descriptions of the November combat at the foot of the rapids will be integral in future episodes. The other recent and tremendous research boost comes from the 2020 publication of a newly revised edition of the roster of Ohio Militia, compiled with strenuous efforts by Eric Eugene Johnson. As is explained in the preface to the new roster of Ohio Militia, the problem with the aging copy from 1912, as is clear to anyone who has tried to use it, the volume only lists men by company, the county of origin, maybe, and the terms of enlistment, which might be inaccurate. It makes no attempt to further organize these men from companies into regiments, brigades, divisions, etc. So researchers have no idea where they might have actually served. Nor does it share information on the fate of the men, additional notes, such as where they were discharged, if they deserted, were absent due to illness, etc. That information was published separately later in a second volume, and corresponding one to the other can be painstaking, a pain that Eric Johnston has taken on for our benefit. The author is quick to admit, however, that the new publication is not perfect, and indeed the dates for some of Tupper's detachment are incorrectly shortened, both in the old and new editions. Both Nathan Newsom and John Jackson's units, for example, are listed as 60-day men in the muster rolls. When we understand from their personal writings that they both finished their war stories at Fort Meigs in the late winter of 1813, a full six-month term. Yes, Tupper's command had been activated for a six-month term of enlistment. The biggest problem this creates is anyone doing research into the graves at Fort MacArthur prior to reading these texts would have automatically disqualified entire regiments of soldiers at one rapid glance because they would think these men not to have been present for a winter encampment in the muddy, cold fog of an Ohio December. But we know now they were indeed still active units and stationed at Fort MacArthur. From Jackson's publication and the new roster of Ohio Militia, we can understand the structure of General Tupper's command. It was organized into three regiments. The first, a regiment of mounted spies under Lieutenant Colonel James Galloway. The second, which was both John Jackson's and Nathan Newsom's regiment, under Lieutenant Colonel Robert Safford, and a third regiment under Lieutenant Colonel Charles Miller. A quick brush through the pages, however, one can learn that Lieutenant Colonel Galloway, the leader of the spy corps, also had command of the second battalion of Colonel David Sutton's regiment at the same time. We know from Nathan Newsom, from letters to the governor, and from the official record, that Colonel Sutton was also present at the winter encampment alongside 
General Tupper, making this a very large body of men. Now with a suspicious eye on David Sutton's regiment, we turn to the papers of Governor Meigs himself, high command for the militia, in which, of course, is the letter from General Tupper stating his location as camp near MacArthur Blockhouse that the Reverend Munson quoted. Within the Governor Meigs papers, we find a number of letters from Lieutenant Colonel James Galloway himself, as well as company commanders in Galloway's 2nd Battalion, who all state their location to be the camp near MacArthur's blockhouse. Not only does it appear that Colonel Sutton's 2nd Battalion was present under James Galloway, but also at least portions of Sutton's 1st Battalion, namely companies under Martin Armstrong and Samuel Black. It's a lot of names, I know, but their presence is supported by the written evidence. So in the fields and forests beside the Scioto, we have proof of three regiments under Tupper and two large battalions under Colonel Sutton, numbering 1,322 by the muster rolls. Between these two large groups and three primary sources, we believe we can find the 16 men who succumbed to that horrible winter. 16 stones uncovered. On the 18th, all hands, sound, lame, or sick, were in the encampment again. Here closed this expedition of hunger, fatigue, cold, and human calamity. On our return, we found the army in far worse state of health than when we had left it. Two men were buried in our absence and some wagon loads of sick conveyed to the hospital at Urbana. Notwithstanding, great numbers remained sick in the encampment. Three more died within a few days after our return. Sergeant Nathan Newsom, Ohio Militia. Nathan Newsom, opening with the state of the army as they return from the expedition to the foot of the rapids, November 10th through November 18th, 1812. He also records the first deaths at the camp near MacArthur's blockhouse. It is interesting to note that he states they were buried, a definitive word choice he will use again. So we have burials at the camp near the blockhouse. Quote, wagon loads of sick conveyed to Urbana, unquote. Newsom would have no knowledge of the fate of these men living or dying. We may not either. All in all, Newsom would note 15 deaths in his log during that winter stay along the supply road. Though two of these sad occurrences will take place elsewhere 
and therefore cannot be among our even 16 stones. He made extensive comment on those men dying in either Calvin Shepard's company, his own, or Isaac Butler's company. Both these units, Shepard and Butler, were from Gallia County, Ohio, Newsom's home, and he would know of many specific names. Many from Gallia County perished at this time, it seems, but it must be noted that Shepherds and Butlers were also the largest two outfits serving in Tupper's Corps. Newsom making note that they were heavily reinforced in September. Therefore, occupying a lion's share of the deaths really isn't that far from belief. In cross-referencing Newsom's words with the new roster for the Ohio Militia, the two sources support each other. According to the latter, John Adams and Zadok Wood both died while the expedition was away at the rapids. They were the first to succumb to a paralyzing and pervasive illness that swept and lingered in this camp. All commanding officers in their correspondence mentioned this disease over the next three months. That it formed deep in the lungs and remained there, heavy, taking many lives. That the men feared this sickness and it kept them from performing duty. Newsom mentions that, quote, three more died in a few days after our return, unquote. The next being Corporal George Boots, who died November 22nd, four days after the return. Both Boots and an earlier death, Private Zadok Wood, were from that separate unit, Colonel David Sutton's command. But from letters to Governor Jonathan Meggs, we understand that the 2nd Battalion of Sutton's regiment was at MacArthur Blockhouse, and at least elements of the 1st Battalion were there as well. Those elements included Captain Samuel Black's company enlisting Zadok Wood and Captain Martin Armstrong's company enlisting George Boots. It is most likely that these men were too sick to be moved even if the entirety of the 1st Battalion were ordered elsewhere in the latter part of November. On the night of the 28th, a volunteer soldier in the company of Captain Calvin Shepard died. He was an inoffensive, innocent young man. He had caught a cold preceding the commencement of a severe spell of weather, which laid him up. One little old blanket was the total amount of his bedding. On this situation he remained many days in the most excruciating agony without the requisite aid and at last expired his name was john smith on the 29th in the evening he was buried on the night of december 1st 
James Jordan died. He was a soldier who had volunteered in the company of Captain Isaac Butler from Gallia County. Captain Butler said Jordan received every attendance and aid of which his situation would admit. Within a few days, two men died belonging to the army. The one was a drummer, remarkable for his corpulency or bodily size. The other was a soldier who had been wounded at the rapids and was on the way to be taken to hospital at Urbana. But death overtook him at the Solomon's town where the scene was closed. On the 16th of December, Lewis Witten, a soldier in the company of Captain Butler died. And on the 17th, John Gibson, a sergeant in the company of Captain Calvin Shepard died. And on the evening of the 18th, their remains were entered at the burying ground with as much decency as the situation of the army would admit. They were young men of good behavior and pure morals. Of course, their deaths caused much regret. Sergeant Nathan Newsom, Ohio Militia. Sergeant Nathan Newsom will go on to list John Holmes dying December 19th, then Johnson Walkins expiring on Christmas Day, and by year's end, the death of Captain Isaac Butler himself. Though we know that Captain Butler removed himself from camp prior to his passing, trying to regain his health at the home of a nearby relative. Assuming these relatives looked after his final arrangements, we will not count the captain among our dead. Nor shall we count the wounded man he mentioned as dying at Solomon's town on way to hospital. This man would have been buried there unless the Teamsters decided to lug the corpse the last 18 miles to Urbana. It is curious, however, Newsom mentions a corpulent drummer dying in the early part of December. The new roster of Ohio militia does not list any drummers dying from the units we know to be present. However, George Ramsey Pfeiffer is listed as dying in December. At the time, drummers and Pfeiffers were often listed and known simply as musician. It is entirely conceivable that Sergeant Newsom became aware that a musician died in a neighboring company, Captain Beasley's, and made a tired assumption that the deceased was a drummer. No historical knowledge on George Ramsey's corpulency. As these morale-sapping days roll into January 1813, however, the timeline of death given by Nathan Newsom and the corresponding roster of Ohio militia 
begin slowly diverging. It is the only unnerving thorn in the side of this research. All in all, we said Nathan Newsom would record 15 deaths, remarkably close to our 16 graves. But we know that of his count, two died elsewhere, bringing his number down to 13. When we look at the new roster of Ohio militia, of the units we know to have been present at this miserable place, the record states a remarkable and exact 16 deaths from November until the end of January. We will read those names now. Private John Adams. Private Zedak Wood. Corporal George Boots. Private John Smith. Sergeant James Jordan. Private John Stinson. Private Lewis Witten. Sergeant John Gibson. Sergeant John Holmes. Private Johnson Walkins. Musician George Ramsey. Private Samuel Evan. Private Tobias Rambo. Private John Firewood. Corporal Stephen Runyon. Private Quinton Dick. By the end of January, General Tupper had received orders from General William Henry Harrison to break camp and proceed northward, as the Army of the Northwest was at last gathering to strength at the foot of the rapids. The tents were struck, the march played, and the detachment stepped off in the falling snow on January 31st, 1813, at last ending their winter encampment, leaving the sickness and leaving 16 dead behind them. They pushed through the half-frozen black swamp on roads slippery with mud, choked with droves of hogs, forage wagons, broken artillery carriages, and dying horses. Slow going for tired, coughing men. We hope our podcast audience appreciates the gravity of what has transpired here. For 212 years, this graveyard has sat a quiet place in quiet American farmland, known and appreciated only by a few. After 100 years, at last, the honored dead were given headstones to mark their place. And now, returning to their story, continuing the long sleeping research, these Ohio men Soldiers of a nearly forgotten war are at last known. <laughs>